Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. I think we should just go ahead and call this Quantum Week. Last week's show was had a quantum element to it, and if you're not aware of it, we had a special roundtable with Marina Jacoby and Peter Smith, Everyday Quantum, which aired last Saturday or Sunday if you live in Australia where Peter lives, and then tonight we have another quantum topic. It must be Quantum Week. Maybe it's Quantum Year. I like quantum. Um, all right. So tonight, tonight the topic is quantum activation, and our guest tonight is Dr. Emmy Goswami. We're going to bring him on. This show was recorded a while back when uh, Dr. Emmy Goswami was in India. This is a pre-recorded show. I think you're going to like it. But let's talk a little bit, just a little bit about quantum. There's so much quantum going on. It's a curious thing that nobody can see gravity. But yet we can see the effect of gravity. Everybody pretty much agrees about the presence of gravity. And then along comes electricity. Well, it doesn't come along. It was there the whole time. Electricity's been around since the dawn of time. And our culture overall has been ignorant to electricity until just relatively recently in the human narrative. And yet today, today, electricity has kicked our fannies as to what it can do. Chances are, the, if it's nighttime where you are, the lights in the room are, are illuminated by electricity. You're listening to the show via a computer, or perhaps you downloaded it and you're playing it on your MP3 player. All electricity electricity to weld, electricity to run our cities, pumps, blowers, air conditioners, appliances. Electricity has just turned our world upside down. But like I was saying, it was relatively, it went pretty much ignored. And when people first tried to bring it on the scene, they were laughed at, scoffed at, like, it was some kind of voodoo magic. Well, <laughs> well, buckle up because here comes quantum. I suggest to you, just like electricity, quantum has been here the whole flipping time. the The notion of quantum has been here since the dawn of existence. And I suggest to you, if you think electricity changed the world, just wait. Because the reason I say this is consciousness. The tie between the quantum 
the quantum field, quantum physics, quantum mirror. We've talked about quantum for hours on end on this show with lots and lots of episodes. And here we are with more quantum, and I like tonight's topic, quantum activation. But consciousness, if quantum is a mirror, consciousness is the image in the mirror. If quantum is a um, impersonal principle, consciousness determines the effect. I think what we're going to see is legions of mystics, sages, and alchemists that will rediscover their relationship with the quantum. Some of our mythology touches on it a little bit. Jesus creates food out of thin air, poof, there it is, and says, hey, come on, belly up to the bar. You're going to do everything I'm going to do and more. But our Western minds, we were raised in academia. We are raised in this 3D physical space, and our brains can't see the quantum like we can see gravity. Our brains can't see the quantum. Actually, we can see the quantum. The physical world is the reflection of the quantum. But perhaps to dig a little deeper, what we can't recognize, or not yet anyway for many of us, is that the world we see outside of us is a is a byproduct of the consciousness of our past. We're seeing the wake of our consciousness from the past. And when we can when we can come to terms with that, our wand starts to work. By changing my consciousness now in this moment, I can change the whole outcome of my future. I can completely rewrite the trajectory, the narrative of my future in this moment here, in this moment now. And the vehicle I would do that with is consciousness. And what would create the effect of that consciousness? The quantum field. It's, I think it's time, <laughs> and all these episodes we've done on quantum shows my passion for it, it's time to kind of roll up our sleeves and own this quantum thing, to roll up our sleeves and own the power of our consciousness, to roll up our sleeves and, and step into the role of active consciousness and its interaction with the quantum. Well, you're listening tonight. Bravo, bravo. I think we should get to it because you're going to like this interview. Again, the topic tonight is quantum activation, and our guest is Dr. Emmy Goswami. Dr. Goswami is a former professor of physics at the University of Oregon. He, in 1985, he discovered the solution to the quantum measurement problem and developed a science of experience explaining how consciousness splits into subject and object. 
Maybe that's the first moment of creation. Subsequently, he developed a theory of reincarnation and integrated conventional and alternative medicines within this new quantum science of health. We've had him on the show several times, and it's my pleasure to bring him back on the show. Check out this interview. I think you're going to like it. Welcome to the show, Ami. Glad to be here. Um, the topic today is uh, your latest book. This is something you've co-authored, Quantum Activation. What I really like about this book is you're kind of you're really bringing it in, bringing the topic of the quantum physics into a personal experience. What what made you choose to approach qu quantum physics from this point of view? Well, uh, you know, people are very confused about um, using quantum physics to create reality. Ever since uh, Fred Allen Wolf, uh, my good friend, created that slogan, we create our own reality, as a dictum of quantum physics, people have been intrigued by it. That was in the 70s. I mean, you know, this is like 50 years have gone by, and still the message is very attractive to many people. But now, although two movie, um, one movie has been made, The Secret, which was very successful, and a couple of books have been written, but still, the message has never been completely given or fully appreciated by people, uh, although I have been saying it since 1993 that the choice uh, is made by not by our ego, but by our uh, origin, uh, non-local consciousness, consciousness that is the ground of all being, what Jesus called God the Father or spiritual traditions referred to as the oneness of everything. Uh, that's where that, uh, that choice, uh, downward causation, if you will, uh, come from. It is definitely a choice beyond all material interactions. Um, it is a choice that we have access to through creativity, through intuitions, and um, there is a way of proceeding uh, from intention to intuition to uh, creative process to insight to manifestation. And of course, the majority of people don't quite do this because they are lost in obstacles that people create just too much these days. Too many people are caught into too many games of uh, falsity and inauthenticity, uh, living in their own imaginary world uh, including scientists, because they believe in materialism, and that is also an imaginary world. So um, it is harder and harder for people to manifest anything. And so we are just taking the uh, tiger by the teeth or by the tail, whatever <laughs> the term is, and saying that, look, this is what you have to do. You have to got, get God on your side. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no hope. It cannot be done. <laughs> Well, I like that. Well, now, you talk about um, the non-local space as where this, um, uh, I guess I would say, regulator of, of success or not is. 
Um, when we look at the obstacles that we experience as an individual when it comes to manifesting a change, how do we relate to it as an individual? So, so in other words, there's this non-local aspect of me, and right now it has um, dominion, if you will, over what I can and cannot manifest, and until I resolve that, my my conscious desires for change through the quantum effect uh, are on hold. So how do I how do I perceive this non-local aspect of myself? Well, it is so easy. <laughs> what can I say? It is so easy, but you have to know what you're looking for. It is not anything magical. It is, does not require a whole bunch of meditative practice or anything to convince yourself that there is non-local consciousness. Just simply uh, uh, take a morning walk. That's one way. On the river, better, through a forest, wonderful. And what will happen is that if you are not thinking, 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 or doing, 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 but if you are alone, if you are in a good, uh, silent mode, all you have to do is to walk through a forest looking at the um, river, and uh, if there is a sunrise, wonderful, and the beauty and the vital energies of the situation will uh, get you into a non-local expansion of consciousness. You won't experience like a samadhi or anything. I'm not saying that. That requires hours and hours of practice, creativity and all that. But you can feel an expansion of consciousness. You'll feel generous. Like if you were, if, if, if you were in that state and somebody right then uh, comes and says to you, good morning, irrespective of who it is, it could be a very poor man, it could be a bad-looking man, it could be a scary person, uh, and you still reply, oh, good morning, very good morning to you, you know, something like that. You'll be generous, you'll be wonderful in terms of your expansion, you could include another person. So so it's uh, um, in this, in this, environment of nature we're we're disconnecting if you will from the obstacles we're we're setting aside the um, impediments that um, get in our way and in that um, I don't know what to say reunion of our non-local self or or God essence perhaps um, from that space the the access to um, creating effect in the quantum field is much more um, achievable. Is that what you're talking about? If we if we live in that expanded state of consciousness, then already we have made a huge uh, inroad in accessing that. Uh, uh, higher consciousness where downward causation happens. This is why, you know, um, in the book, we go ahead and suggest that inspiration is how you start your intention. You don't want to intend in a contracted state. You must be inspired, like the state that uh, uh, you just described, I just described, 
that state of expanded consciousness that is so easy to get, even uh, looking at a flower uh, in your home. Uh, if you really appreciate the beauty of the flower, it will get to that expansive state. If you have a loved one, you just look at a face, uh, look at his face, uh, unshaven it may be, but you just look with love and that will get you there. So expansion is so easy to get, inspiration is so easy to get, and we know what we're talking about. Everybody knows about inspiration. What is inspiration? It is just that expanded consciousness, just another name. So you have to be inspired suitably, and that's it, that's the mystery. And then you intend in that state, intuition comes, and you follow up the intuition with creative process. As simple as that. Of course, you have to go for uh, stuff that, uh, you know, are consonant with the movement of consciousness. That, that's that. You have to get God on your side. That's where uh, the decision, uh, creative decisions come from. Creative choices are not your ego's choice. So you have to get the oneness, that one consciousness, uh, to act in your favor. And the recipe for that is that you have to synchronize your actions with the purposive movement of consciousness. And the purpose right now is meaning and archetypes. Uh, love, beauty, justice, truth, goodness, wholeness, um, abundance, power, nine archetypes, self. And all, 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 if you are aligning yourself into the exploration of any of these archetypes, love is one of the best, but justice will do. Abundance will do, but not in the search of material money. That is only partial abundance. But abundance in not only material prosperity, but also mental prosperity, like happiness, abundance in happiness, abundance in expansion of consciousness that we are talking about, that's happiness. So when you have that kind of abundance, power, similarly, not in the sense that politicians seek power today, that's just very personal power. I dominate you kind of power, where power you get for with, uh, to be shared with others, with love, that kind of power. And goodness, of course, is basis of ethics or spiritual traditions have been talking about goodness for all these millennia. People just have not heard the message. Now, that's the principal message of uh, Jesus, uh, love thy neighbor, be good to your neighbor, and then, of course, the others, we just we know these things. I mean, everybody knows how important it is to have justice in our society. But I'm glad, you know, we are getting there. Uh, Black Lives Matter movement is, uh, is going on, although we have a huge polarization, you know, 45% of the country doesn't uh, want to touch uh, these sensitive subjects. They would rather stay contracted. But, you know, it's unfortunate. But... We cannot exclude them. Nobody can be excluded. So there are reasons for the contraction. We have to solve those problems. But it is a very good thing that that majority of Americans now are seeing the sadness and seeing the improperness, impropriety of racism. Um, we have seen the impropriety of sexism for uh, decades ago, and we have made some inroads. And, and so, uh, you know, this is what justice is about. Now, wholeness, we are more and more concerned about um, health. This is something you can manifest with uh, quantum intention. 
absolutely. Um, and then, of course, beauty in your life, love in your life. Uh, you know, who doesn't want love in intimate relationships? I read constantly how difficult it is with coronavirus. Uh, the dating um, websites don't work and all this stuff. And you cannot even really go face-to-face -face dining anymore with coronavirus. You know, how can you even talk with masks on and stuff? But if you don't have masks on, that is very risky with a stranger. All kinds of strangers are running around. So uh, quantum way is, gives a solution to this thing. It's not hard. You have to just meet the right people, and there are right people, enormous number actually, 15% of the world's population, 15% of Americans, and you can do it. But you have to have the uh, right vehicle, and this is why we wrote the book. Yeah, the, I like the idea, right vehicle. The, the metaphor of a whip comes to mind. You have the handle of the whip, and then out on the end, you have the tip of the whip. And wherever the handle goes, the tip follows. And yet, if I'm out on the tip of the whip, I don't have any effect. I don't have any control, so to speak. And so, I, I think of the ego as the tip of the whip, and the handle of the whip as being the expanded consciousness, or God consciousness, if you will. So, perhaps... Right. Perhaps if we're not having the effect that we're intending um, as we relate to the quantum field, um, it would be a reflection of where we're approaching or submitting our request, if you will, to the quantum field. So um, I, I really like um, the content of this book because you, you really bring it kind of front and center. Uh, one of the ch chapters is called Ancestral Revelations. L let's take a, a dive into that. Okay. How, how, can my, how can my ancestral history, if you will, show up in my current life if all my ancestors have passed away? Well, there are many, many ways to approach this. But the uh, main reason that this kind of therapy... Uh, family constellation therapy, or there is a family constellation of problems, uh, mainly they consist of uh, sexual abuse problems. Um, uh, this is actually a big um, uh, both-way, two-way verification of reincarnation theory. You know, well, this reincarnation theory has been, yoga psychology talks about this, it was formulated in India some five to 7,000 years ago, and uh, of course, uh, thanks to Ian Stevenson at the University of Virginia and many others, and also uh, theory work that I have done and others have done, we now have a pretty good science of reincarnation. What reincarnates all those questions now has been answered successfully, and the data is very clear, very clear. So if we believe reincarnation then, and it should be believed by every human being because you can find so much evidence of it in your own life, anybody who looks for it. I have found evidence in my own life, uh, fantastic evidence, and it's very important for my life, my personal growth. So now what happens in this family is that, you know, when we begin the journey in the initial 
uh, incarnation. Uh, we have a tendency of uh, more or less staying in the same kind of um, uh, being reborn in the same kind of family. The reason is very clear. What we take with us is called karma, but it's very ill understood. In quantum physics, we clarify it. Karma is, uh, karma is just a bunch of habit patterns and character traits that I developed in my current incarnation and have been developing in my past incarnation. So what I take with me is always a bunch of habit patterns and character traits that is the real me. My content of life will change because I'll be in another body, another culture, another society, another uh, completely different it could be, but initially, People usually choose the same family to go back to because then uh, certain things can be counted on. Uh, one of the things that we do is, in fact, we work on an archetype, and we want that archetype to, um, we take our karma suitable for exploring that archetype. For example, if you're a musician, you would like to take some of your musical expertise, musical character with you. How can you guarantee that? You guarantee that by being born in a musical family. There's enormous evidence for it. In India, the musical families are called Farhana. You know the case of Mozart, musical family, a genius is born, and there's no problem in getting the reincarnational karma triggered because music will be the part of that family. So same thing happens with these people. They take birth again and again in the same family. So when we do family constellation therapy, we are actually talking about a person who either uh, himself or herself is uh, reborn in the particular uh, body-mind, or it could be that a parent or a child is involved who is uh, set up in a very peculiar way, in that very sick way, um, with the person which will be the bad karma aspect. The thing is that we don't bring just the good karma. We also bring bad karma to work it out. And every time we hope that it will, work, it will be worked out and we fall prey because we, of course, forget. New birth comes with a lot of forgetfulness. So the therapist's job here is to remind the person who they are, uncover who they are, uncover the fact that they are not tied to the bad karma, they can just leave it. That's the crucial point the uh, therapist makes. And in this case, Gary Stewart, which is, who is the expert in this therapy, you know, I'm a theorist, I don't um, do things like therapy, but he is fantastic. So um, uh, he uh, has written with expertise of how to do this therapy and pull people out of this bad karma just to, you know, just to convince them, look, it's okay to give it up. Don't do it anymore. It's okay. You, you don't have to carry it to your next incarnation. I like that. The, the notion that the, the quantum mirror or the quantum field, if you will, has no memory of its own. In other words, when we resolve the karmic patterns or perhaps the karmic momentum of our psyche, 
the quantum field will instantly reflect back to us that that uh, new outcome. So, you know, I might not know that I'm a sleepwalker, but I can kind of sprinkle uh, flour on the kitchen floor and then the next morning look for footprints. <laughs> when we... Uh, when we're born into a family dynamic, we basically grow our ego in the in the family dynamic. I mean, we learn what symbols are, and then we assign values to symbols based on what our parents um, reflect on us. So, culture has been one of keeping secrets, and this family secret, and you have to keep kind of hushas. And that means that they were never worked on. It has been going on for generations, and nobody had the opportunity uh, to work on it, even tell another person who will terrify. So all this is very welcome development. You know, the discovery of family constellation therapy is a major breakthrough in uh, uh, the field of psychotherapy. Well, how do you... um... Some of it might be obvious. I mean, if you're raised in an alcoholic or an abusive family, um, that's pretty much self-evident. But sometimes our um, the imprinting is, as you say, hush hush, and and it might not be so obvious to us now that decades later, when we're on our own as adults, and we and we look back and try to um, resolve what we might have brought forth with us as karmic patterns, what are some suggestions you have as far as discovering the not-so-obvious karmic imprinting? Yeah, exactly. And the thing is that, you know, what, what is obvious from when we look from outside is not at all obvious when you are caught in. That's the problem. And, and so, you know, the, the very fact that uh, you was, what you establish is that, look, this is coming from a past life as your non-local memory, and really you are not responsible for it because, you know, we feel so guilty about having uh, these bad habits, bad karma. So if it is if it is triggered, and of course we want them to be triggered because we want to work on it, that was the intention in my past life, and then now I am in it and it has been triggered, but I cannot tell, I cannot tell that it is karma that I want to get rid of, I cannot tell, and because forgetfulness is so natural, you know, this is the uh, unfortunate part of the incarnation that we don't remember. Of course, for good karma, it's not hurtful because uh, when a good uh, habit is uh, realized again, triggered again, uh, uh, we are happy because we can now progress with the uh, creative life. That's what we have chosen. But of course, there are cases when life is not creative. And then again, that goes to waste one more time because of circumstances. So even good karma cannot always be worked with. So what we have to do, we have to have education which is cognizant of the fact that many uh, kids are inheriting karma from past lives and that has to be part of the school curriculum so that people are given the opportunity of knowing what might be going on so that they don't keep so much secret 
about what is going on, what they're struggling with, what they're so ashamed of, or what they're so proud of, you know. Nothing uh, can be done without having some educational background. This is the problem, uh, it has been the problem in the West ever since 5th century AD, you know, Christianity abandoned the concept of reincarnation. It was part of Christianity until then. But that, um, you know, Roman Empire eventually persuaded uh, Christians to give it up, uh, political uh, consideration. So um, ever since, Westerners have been uh, kind of dubious because uh, official line of Christianity does not approve uh, reincarnation, and that has been a bugaboo. And of course, now the bugaboo is materially science because those scientists don't accept any of the things that we are doing, consciousness-oriented research. They don't accept quantum field of consciousness being the uh, basic uh, theory that they're missing of consciousness. Uh, they have the idea that consciousness is nothing but brain phenomenon. And so with that kind of view, you cannot entertain reincarnation. Death is death, it's final, you are gone. So with that kind of attitude, you don't even uh, consider archetype or transformation or changing. If you are an alcoholic, if you are an abuser, it's your tough luck. Okay, we'll send you a behavioral therapist. He might help you a little bit to cope with your problems. But look, uh, it's your tough luck. We cannot really help you with any of it because we don't know how. Uh, we know you have addiction circuit in the brain. We can tell you what kind of brain areas are involved, but we don't know how to help you with it because you cannot change. Our model for you is that you are a machine. So whatever the brain does, which just happened, we just unfold and you just, you just, you just endure. What else can you do? This is the way that our therapists talk to people. Coping mechanism they will give you a few things, they'll give you a tranquilizer and all that, you know, and it's just a ridiculous scenario. So that doesn't help either. What can help uh, for people are these very brave uh, therapists like Gary Stewart, and um, they, uh, through virtue of their reputation, uh, Okay, so the mainstream psychologists don't approve, so what? But you build the reputation gradually, and Gary has now become so famous that, you know, people flock to him about therapy and getting a breakthrough. So the, the academic or scientific arena wants to measure it with the micrometer, so to speak, and, and there's, there's such an ethereal or non-physical aspect as to to this, you really kind of have to leave the uh, mainstream academic thought process and develop a personal relationship with you, uh, if you will, with the the quantum effect to develop a, a personal experience from applying these principles that you've laid out. The when we uh, when we go to affect change in our personal persona and then we look for the quantum effect to mirror it back to us, um, 
sometimes we can be in the in the right um, vicinity or topic, but we might not hit the mark as far as where the actual uh, perhaps trigger point or um, the karmic fulcrum is. How do we how do we dial into something that might seem um, vague or or um, difficult to identify within ourselves? Yeah, this is where the therapist is needed the most. Because, you know, um, these are problems for which the ego is truly uh, kind of embarrassed, ashamed. Of course, those feelings are all feelings of uh, emotional feelings. And those emotional feelings uh, we teach that they be suppressed. So not only they have these emotional feelings, but the culture is to suppress them. Now, the, the whole thing is very complicated because of this uh, keeping secret. I mean, it, it, this is how it perpetuates uh, this uh, behavior, perpetuates in the family, uh, people suffer. And then they reincarnate, develop bad karma, and then they want to work on their karma, born in the same family. It gets very complex. <laughs> and very kind, compassionate therapy, they can be revived once again. As I said, the, the part where they have to change their belief system is simple. But with the barrage of misinformation, um, you know, <laughs> This is just this misinformation. Not only the people who sell conspiracy theories and all those that create misinformation, but scientists themselves are creating major misinformation and ignoring spirituality, ignoring uh, past life uh, regression, ignoring uh, simple things like creativity, or ignoring that consciousness has a role to play, or even just admitting that yes, we all can change, we can transform. That that idea I still accepted, you know, in spite of transpersonal psychology, which laid out many uh, decades ago. I mean, you know, Abraham Maslow did his work in the 60s, where he said that, look, we, for lower needs, survival needs, behavioral cognitive therapy is fine. But if, when it comes to relationship, then how can you, uh, stay within that confinement when you just talk about the ego as an individual not connected with anybody else except local interaction. And local interactions are all culture bound and even that, for that, the material science is inadequate. So, you know, transpersonal psychology, he founded it. And of course, people uh, can get somewhere uh, with these problems also with transpersonal psychotherapy with love and now, expansion of consciousness, that's another vehicle which first uh, uh, regression therapies don't use. And this is much more efficient. But, you know, love is a very wonderful uh, healer also. Uh, wholeness is another archetype one could follow. Uh, those are alternatives. Uh, and that personal psychotherapy have been using those things. But that too, majority of people would not even know because, you know, majority of psychotherapists today are cognitive behavioral. And you cannot get find any relief for anything substantial about any uh, problem which is beyond the 
materialist machine theory. Yeah. So early in the conversation, you mentioned um, that we're not responsible per se for these patterns. Um, it so it seems like the effect of karma, if you will, is is really kind of an impersonal um, law of the universe, kind of like gravity. Gravity doesn't care if if you fall down the stairs, it'll gladly take you there, but it'll also let you ski down a hill with great delight. Gravity in and of itself is indifferent. So these these karmic um, propensities or momentums that are uh, inherent traits in our in our human demeanor, because when when you talk about guilt and shame, I mean especially with the upheaval in the world today, many people feel like checking out, like it's overwhelming, like um, it's just too much. But what would you say to to people who carry a, a, a heavy sense of guilt or shame with them based on their um, karmic patterns of the past? Okay, so this the very, you just made a wonderful analogy. Although you know these these patterns, habit patterns, and and character traits that uh, travel with us, as we reincarnate, they're they're non-local memory, and they're not really uh, as compulsory as gravity law. This is why we eventually can get out of them, but almost as bad. They're like the they're like like universal software. Uh, although the software is confined to the only to the chain of people who are connected to you uh, via reincarnation. Fortunately, only that chain will be affected by this particular uh, quote-unquote gravity law, uh, reincarnational law. But these people really have it as, as a software that is not their personal software. They have to be aware of it, that they are compulsively doing something that really is not the, their personal responsibility because they, in this particular incarnation, did not create it. It is being carried over as something from their past life, and it is not something that is supposed to be a character trait. It's a bad habit pattern that, you know, when something becomes my character trait, then I'm responsible for it. But if it is just a habit pattern, Habit patterns are addictive patterns that somehow we got into. And we can get out of it. It's like saying that a person gets addicted to alcohol. Is that his character? No, absolutely not. It's something of a bad habit that we can live with. And this is the point. And this is the point that the therapist emphasizes. Okay, look, this does not define you. It is not part of your character, who you are. It is just a bad habit pattern that you have developed, and you can leave it because you didn't create it. You, in this particular incarnation, did not create it. So you are not responsible for it. It's just that you are karmically related to another person in the past, and for only for convenience, we call that your reincarnation. But truly, it, it, the connection is only that character trait. That's the one that you want to build. Connection is not really through all this bad karma that you want to get rid of. How did the bad karma develop? It developed 
as as side effects of your striking as striving to develop a good character. You know, we we do that sometimes. You know, we find that in order to be creative, you need to be okay. So, and you know, because one of the side effect is that you suffer an excess sexuality. So many people get, uh, many creative people get into uh, sexual bad habits, like pornography. Uh, similarly, many creative people get into alcohol because there is enormous creative anxiety, and to handle it, they they turn to alcohol to to just calm them down. Uh, many people get into drugs because they get their creative inspiration under LSD, or they have it's easier to create image, images with. LSD in your head. So in this way, we develop bad habits in the pursuit of something good. And that is the unfortunate thing. And then the next life, the bad habits we carry because we want to get rid of that too. And then we get stuck because we don't know how. We forget the context. And this is the therapist's job of, of putting it in the right context so that now you can see, okay, it's not me. It's really just a bad habit that I want to get rid of, and that's what it is with me. But that realization immediately helps. Well, I like that. Um, well, we have about 15 minutes left. Let, um, one of the chapters is called Taking Your Quantum Leap. Let's let's shift the conversation to when we when we... Um, master the art of the uh, our relationship with the quantum. I, I like what you said about the addictive behavior as creative anxiety. One of the topics you talk about is the cr creative quantum leap. How would you uh, describe that? Okay, so uh, we talked about a part of it. We already talked about in inspiration. We talked about intention. We talked about intuition. And then begins the four creative, four stages of creative process. The creative process, for a long time, uh, we thought it's just a matter of doing and using the scientific method. Lots of scientists tried to push that idea because they are just looking at human beings that, as machines, and machines don't have consciousness in the sense that we are talking about. They don't have unconscious, another realm, none of that. So, um, and then about 100 years ago, in 1926, a uh, theorist named Graham Wallace, who discovered that no, creativity really uh, is different, and that, that is how great science even not so great artists, uh, great, not so great scientists, they often operate using this creative process. And what is the creative process? Creative process, the surprising aspect of it is that not only it involves the step-by-step -step thinking that we call preparation, uh, imagination, that's all step-by-step -step continuous process. But then he found that people relax and that relaxation which he called incubation, like a bird sits on an egg, and it, it's like that. And then really the hatching happens, and that's the quantum leap. He found that that quantum leap is a major difference than the preparatory imagination that I was doing. Whereas imagination is continuous, but this quantum leap is discontinuous. 
It's not at all something that matter brain can be uh, uh, can be doing because brain is a material uh, machine looked upon as a material machine. Uh, you know, like if you make an artificial uh, computer brain, it won't be able to do it because material interactions cannot be discontinuous. They're all continuous. So uh, that was the big discovery of this. And then you find the insight. That's the discontinuous quantum bit. So the analogy came from the behavior of electrons. When electrons jump from one atomic orbit to another one, it does not go through the intervening space. So the analogy came. The analogy, of course, I gave first um, in 1988. I wrote a paper, its creativity, a quantum leap. Ever since the phrase or that imagery has stuck, because everybody realized, aha, so we have a model for these discontinuous insights that Wallace was talking about. So quantum leap is that uh, that image. Electrons jump from one orbit to another without going to the intermediate space. And similarly, when we jump from one thought to another without the intermediary of any algorithm or intermediary of any continuous arguments, logic, then we are taking a quantum leap. This is why, why we said that insights uh, cannot be immediately explained by rational thinking. Eventually, we might be able to do some rational thinking and explain it, but in always that that discontinuity is never going to go. We are never going to going to find what we find by this discontinuous movement through continuous movement. We can only give the process. Okay, this process must have taken place. And so, you know, um, I worked on creativity a whole lot, years and years and years. I discovered that. Uh, the process actually requires alternative preparation and relaxation. I call it dooby dooby do, following that Frank Sinatra jingle. So when people get a kick out of it, <laughs> now there are a lot of people who are uh, devotees of dooby dooby do. I myself am one, and it works. It works. It uh, gives the insight. Well, Einstein would say that he would try to solve a problem with his mind. He would he would um, go over it over and over again uh, with his thinking, trying to resolve it, and then he'd get frustrated and say, "What the hell? I'm at living." And he'd get up, he'd get up and go for a walk and let go of it completely. And in that empty um, emptiness, the answer would come. So when we think of when we think about that creativity, so in in that example, Einstein's trying to uh, deepen his understanding of the mechanics of the universe, and and so the theme is set by his ego. The and yet the creative impulse comes not from his ego, not from his mind, from that inner space. When we talk about creativity, does the inner space have um, motives of its own, if you will, where it's uh, looking to inspire us in ways that our mind has not comprehended yet? Yeah, so what happens is that we jump momentarily into that quantum self, what you were terming inner space. A better name is quantum self. It is also a self. We are it but except that it's uh, removed from us through this quantum leap. So ordinary ego uh, 
uh, what happens is that we have a pre-conscious domain between the quantum self and the ego. Uh, neuroscientists have found that quantum self experience could happen, but we usually miss it. And then there is a half a second of processing through past memories. And after the half a second, we get the uh, ego experience. But we can penetrate that. And that penetration is what gives us that expanded consciousness. The more we penetrate the pre-conscious, the more we get into this expansion. Ex expansion means what? I'm not directly experiencing the quantum self, but I'm experiencing after effect of quantum self. Because what happens in this uh, reflection in the mirror of memory, the uh, stimulus is, is there. Of course, if the stimulus can just come and go away, that's different, but usually stimulus is still there, the external stimulus. Like I'm looking at the sunset, the stimulus is there. So the, um, the quantum leaps are also taking place uh, to be in the present moment, and they are both creating this uh, reflection in the mirror of memory. So we kind of, uh, we ex what we experience is kind of average over all these uh, different collapses that take place as you penetrate the pre-conscious. So the key, that's the key to meditation, that's the key to relaxation. When you relax, that's what happens. You are penetrating and we are feeling a bit expanded, that's what relaxation is, that expansion, we call it relaxation because I'm not anxious anymore, I'm not contracted. Anxiety is what contracts us and I'm just relaxed. Um, I'm in touch with that pre-conscious where there is occasional jump into quantum self, although I'm not directly aware of it. So in that process, if I uh, develop a habit of staying in that expanded consciousness, then my probability of jumping into or falling into, I call it a falling into, uh, the quantum self becomes much bigger especially when I have a problem which is consonant with the movement of consciousness, namely the archetypal problem. Like Einstein was always looking for truth. In his entire life, he never did a frivolous problem, always looking for great, wonderful problems to solve, always wondering how does the universe really work. And so that kind of searching for truth, searching for an archetype, like for me, uh, my personal growth came from looking at the deep archetype of love. How do I love my wife? You know, this, this simple thing. People take it for granted. Of course I love my wife because I have sex with her regularly. No, it's not that simple. <laughs> so that my heart is active, you know, so that I feel it. I, and and years and years to get into the, the flow of that thing. That I had a wife who was very nice and always challenging me, so that helps a lot. And, and this is what relationship is about. Relationship can teach us about these things the fastest, about the transpersonal self. Uh, you know, that's the name that transpersonal psychologists give because um, they, of course, uh, from their therapy experience, they know that this is what people miss. The reason they come to therapy is usually their relationship problems. Not usually not their egocentric, uh, narcissistic problems. A few people have those too. You know? I mean, you know, we have a president who has it in a major way, 
but those, those are not very frequent. More, much more frequent is people having relationship problems, people having the kind of problem we just talked about, is uh, past life problems. And you know, those are the problems where we need you know, a therapist who is based on consciousness. Without consciousness, you could not do this. You have to do it with quantum physics, quantum consciousness, quantum field, whatever you want to call it. Very nice. Well, if I look at the the range of effect, if you will, of the human persona, there's the, on the shadow side of it, there's perhaps a homeless person that is totally disconnected from having any kind of an effect of change in his life, and chances are good he'll be homeless the next year and the next year. In other words, um, the quantum effect is is locked in pattern and momentum. And then perhaps the flip side of that, the mythology of perhaps Jesus that sees the masses that are hungry and poof out of thin air manifests um, the food, just as a, a scale of extremes to, to point out the difference. The, my last question is, as more and more people master or heal their relationship with the quantum field, what kind of uh, behavioral attributes, new behavioral attributes, I suggest even new archetypes that are mythology outside of a handful of, of uh, um, exceptional people, what's it going to look like? I mean, so as people master this this quantum effect, what will it look like? How will we know when we see it? Well, first of all, um, the society will become much more happy. You won't see this, uh, you know, we talk about mental, emotional stress constantly. You won't see this stressed out people. You also see much more healthy people because the, the diseases today are all emotional stress related. Immune system go bizarro. And that's how most of the disease happened today, including our problems with coronavirus. Why is uh, why is that, why are Americans suffering so much? You know, okay, so Donald Trump did some very heinous things, agreed. But even so, why are Americans suffering so much? Because this country is full of people who are very tense, who are very contracted, and the contraction is a uh, surefire way of having a malfunctioning immune system. And so this malfunctioning immune system is what is causing this uh, very heavy stuff when uh, the virus hits you. You know, the virus has a very good, we forget about this, but actually the virus, the death threat from the virus is uh, rather small, no? Uh, but it can happen to anyone particularly because we don't know how good our immune system is. And of course, for older people, we should never take the chance because, uh, you know, it is the immune system. That with age, immune system loses some of its potency. I mean, there's just no way to prevent it. At least we don't know any way of preventing, although, you know, from alternative science point of view, uh, we are trying our best. Uh, I have a colleague with whom I'm trying to write a book on gerontology, because I myself, you know, I'm 84 years old and I'm very concerned. <laughs> How do I cope with uh, things like coronavirus? 
And I know that my immune system is good, but how good is it? I don't want to test it by contracting the disease for nothing. So uh, uh, it's very curious, you know. Uh, people would, without this disease, uh, people will have uh, just a fantastic amount of physical and mental health, resilience, uh, love, uh, relationships would be much, much better. But never forget, though, that there will always be new incarnations. And these new incarnations, they growing up properly depends on educational change. And not only, we are talking about higher education right now. You know, I teach only people who are midlife, going to midlife transition. They only come to me and we have the University of Transformation and that's where we can teach them, okay, you can you can strengthen your body, mind, work together, work on them, all of them, achieve wholeness and all these things. They will listen to because they have gone through their whole lives not listening to these things and they know what happens so you don't listen to these things, consciousness and so forth. You are not machines, you have to recognize it as soon as you can. But to change society to that extent where will be able to make an impact on children's life. It is so politicized right now between religion and material design. It is, it is, it will probably take uh, decades to make that kind of change. So right now the challenge is to go back to civilization. America literally has developed a, one of the images that for a rich country, it is one of the most uncivilized, you know. I hear it constantly, I'm sitting in India right now and here is India, which is, you know, poor country, so to speak, uh, although there are 300 uh, or so million middle class people, but still, uh, certainly the poor is high in a very large fraction. All that may be true, but, you know, uh, the poor here is much more civilized than the uh, lower school educated people that we hear about that live in the alternative universe. So, all kinds of distorted notions such as white supremacy. So uh, how, do you, how do you change societies like that? It's not so simple, but, but my hope is that as more and more people come into this archetypal change and, and make real transformation in their lives, we will see an impact on society. Right now, only about 15% are uh, following any kind of transformational education, such as yoga, meditation, and that kind of thing. If that number could be improved to, let's say, 30%, I think we are going to see major effect in society. Right now, the problem is that nobody in a country like America, nobody, I mean, hardly anybody, I mean, okay, 15% exempted, but out, out, of the, out of the 85%. I mean, okay, uh, some exceptional people, Joe Biden is actually a very decent man, he's religious. That's his saving grace. Um, religion can get to there if you don't pick up too much of the dogma. Um, so today, uh, the problem is that either people are religion with dogma or they're scientists with dogma. Very few people escape that trap. Either you are politically correct and materialist and don't believe in anything, you tend to socialism, which is actually a elitism in disguise, uh, I call it meritocracy, or you get into the old-fashioned elitism where 
Ukraine dictator signed on to follow the dictator, dictator will take care of me, and that's the Trumpist. So in this kind of culture that we are having in America today, it is very hard to predict how long it will take enough numbers so that we see a difference. But yeah, you bet. I mean, what if we have it, at least 30%, we will see major difference in people's relationships, drastic difference. People will be civil, and it won't be politically correct. They will be civil because they are civil. Very well said. Well, I tell you, you've co-authored a wonderful book here with Carl David Blake and Gary Stewart, uh, Quantum Activation, Transforming Obstacles into Opportunities, has a lot of a lot of uh, insight in it. I, I commend you on a... A very delightful book as far as a personal relationship with the the quantum effect, if you will. We're pretty much out of time, but Ami, I want to thank you for being our guest. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Les. I really appreciate having uh, being on your show because it's always a good conversation, enthusiastic and passionate and you turn me on. It's wonderful. <laughs> I try to I try to go a little deeper than just the surface, so I appreciate that comment. We've been talking with Dr. Ami Gaswami and the topic tonight has been quantum activation. What a conversation. I I really enjoyed hearing that episode again. Um, I want to make sure you have his website. It's uh, amiguswami.org, and that is A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I.org. When we contract ourselves through stress and frustration, when we contract ourselves with a reaction, a repatterning, a reflex, if you will, from the dogma that we see in the media and on the social platforms, we're contracting ourselves, contracting ourselves. And as he so eloquently represented, it's from the place of rest. It's from that place of openness that place of openness, that place of peace. When we see protests, when we see um, emotionally charged people, and I understand <laughs> in this moment we're, we just, uh, we're still um, in the political realm of the presidency of the United States. Um, in order for you to tap that quantum that quantum openness to bring in new solutions, not only for yourself personally, but for us collectively, is to decompress, is to relax, is to expand, is, and I think some of that comes from a, a trust. So I, I, think that <laughs> I think this topic has been very timely, and um, I mean, uh, quantum activation, uh, it, for me, my passion is talking to people like uh, Dr. Guasami and bringing these episodes to you. There's 
when droves and droves and droves of us, legions of us, wake up to our own innate divine power and tap into that expansive divine consciousness as our higher self or soul, however you want to contextualize it, and then we bring it into form, we bring it into effect, we bring it into the image, the vibrational image in the quantum field makes reality of it. How cool is that? Hey, you, you, you participated in this episode. I thank you for sharing this time with us. For me, it's always a pleasure bringing you guests like we had tonight because we have to heal our relationship with our past if we're going to totally own the future. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.